you. And very appreciative. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for being here this evening. A good friend of mine here, Mr. Adam. Mr. Adam on the drums. Anyways, we nestle on the couch with a couple glasses of Merlot and I stare deeply into her eyes. 
pick up where we start the fall playthrough. I know, John, I know. It's just that, you know, I've been hurt in the past before. And I don't want to move too fast, but then again, I don't want to move too slow. I just want to take things in the car. I want to get to know you. I want to hold me up. These are my chicken slides. I don't want to be your family. And, you know, I want to get to know you spiritually inside and out. Oh! Is that a ham and pineapple pizza? Get away from it, bitch! I'm keeping it for myself! Just keeping it for myself, ladies and gentlemen! Keeping it for myself! $13.99 for two pizzas! And two free cans of coke! <laughs> keeping it for myself!
what, my little love child? This day on my life. Jonathan, do you know what? Do you know what, my bastard child? You know, sometimes this is what happens when it comes to procreating. Sometimes the dad will plant a seed in the mommy. Chuckle Buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan reporting live for duty on this magnificent August 19th in the year of our Lord 2019. Welcome to Jonathan Ramcharan the podcast. Oh, oh, that waska wee wabbit. If you're new to the show, Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast. I am an actor extraordinaire. 18 years of experience. Diploma in theater arts. Somewhat of a wash up. Uh, been hanging around Toronto, Canada for um, the past few years. Uh, getting to the later side of 10 years now been in Toronto consistently since 2011. It's 2019 right now. So that would make it one, two, three. Yeah, like, you know, whatever, eight years, coming up nine years. And you know what? 
I don't know what. Who really knows what in life? Do you know what? What, you fucking know something I don't? I don't know what the hell it is. You just, you work at things, you grind at things, you take things as they come. Happy hallelujah. I think back to some of my earlier days. Some of my earlier times as an actor. Some of my earlier escapades. As I mentioned, I live in Toronto, Canada. I am originally from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. I lived in Toronto, Canada for about a year and a half from like, uh, or about a year, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, I guess a year and a half or so. So from uh, January 2007 to mid Uh, I guess like August, July, August of 2008, I lived in Toronto, Canada. You know, back in the day. So somewhere in there, circa 2007, mid-2008, I was living in Toronto, Canada. And um, I went to this event it was held at the Sheraton Hotel. The Sheraton Hotel, luxurious franchise. I think so. Is the Sheraton a good name brand for a hotel or is it like cheap? I can't tell. But it was a cheap event, I'll tell you this. It was like a roundup. It was like a modeling talent agency. And they had this event where they were doing like a cattle call. Just this cattle call. Basically, open to the public. Anybody come on down. We're looking for new talent. Now, those are, generally speaking, a money grab. They're really looking for desperate people who they can engage with in a conflict of interest. When it comes to a talent agency, when it comes to a management firm, company, it's a conflict of interest if you're trying to sell your client acting lessons, headshots. Headshots for all y'all that don't know are basically, you know, like pictures, like an 8x10 picture of yourself. That way, a picture of yourself that you can flaunt hand out at uh, auditions. And, yeah, they, it's a conflict of interest. As, as my potential talent agent, as my potential management talent agent, I'm not sure about managers, but talent agents, they generally take, uh, I believe it's 15% of the contract for a film contract or uh, 10% for a theater contract as an actor, right? So if I'm an actor, they're my talent agent, they, uh, they get me an audition for a film. If I book the part, they get 15%. If it's a theater production, they get 10%, right? So yeah, it's a total conflict of interest. When they do these cattle calls, bah, bah. Mm-hmm. these fucking heifers, 
just drawing in all these dumbasses off the street to sell them acting classes, headshots. You know, they recommend, oh, I know a person that does a good headshot. Blah, 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 blah. Why don't you go spend $500 there? You know, total, total fucking money grab. And the way that they did this cattle call, it was humiliating. They had like, it was in the Sheraton Hotel. It's in this grand ballroom. There's, you know, high ceilings, chandeliers. And there's all these lineups. There, there had to have been like half a dozen lineups with people. Single file. All these Hollywood hopefuls. Single file in these lineups. And at the head of the lineup was some schwarmy douchebag of a fucking talent rep. Not even a real talent agent. I don't even know what the fuck they were. They're just like a hairstylist or some fucking... Just some real fucking vapid intern moron. Somebody who has real no... Has like basically no... They weren't like casting directors, acting... Like there were nothing... They were like secretaries... Whipping boy, fetch me a coffee, whipping boy. You know, a little dilettantes, right? They're standing there with their fucking clipboards, and they're 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 interviewing people, um, kind of sp- a la speed date, a la speed dating style, just like boom, boom, boom. So, why do you want to be an actor? Mm, next. So, why do you have want to be an actor? Do you have what it takes? Oh, yes, yes, I've always wanted to be an actor. It's in my gut. It's in my soul. Mm. Okay, we'll see. Next. They're just like speed interviewing people. And, you know, they want, you know, they're just like pressuring pressuring people into going, yes, I do want to be an actor with all my soul. Well, if you do want to be an actor with all your soul, like you say you do, then take these lessons. Take these acting lessons. Go get your headshots done here. Show us that you're really, show us that you're really, um... That you're really interested. Show us that you're committed. Like trying to bully people into basically dropping money on all these services. Headshots, acting classes. Show us that you really mean it. Put your money where your mouth is. So you want to be an actor, do you? Huh? Do you have what it takes? $500. Do you have what it takes? $1,000. Who has what it takes? Going once, going twice. Can I got a five? Can I got a one? Can I got a two? Huh? Do you have what it takes to be an actor? Going once, going twice. You know, man, I got $1,000. Oh, here, I hear $2,000. I got $2,000. Sold for uh, $3,000. Headshot. You know, those fucking auctioneers. God, they talk so much bullshit. You know, it's like I can't, I can barely even replicate it. You got what it takes? You got what it takes? Hogwash. So my turn comes in. My turn comes up. I sidle up to them, this fucking swarmy fucking intern, just a real fucking bedwetter. He's looking at me, right? So, do you have what it takes to be an actor? And we kind of lock eyes for a moment. And, you know, I'm ashamed to say that I was even there to begin with because I knew it was a scam. And even more shameful, I answered the fool. Just like all those other hopefuls. All those other... All those other fucking cattle. I'm just like... Yes, I... Because I, I want to be an actor. Yes, of course. Yes. But... 
I kind of locked eyes with the little intern. And we kind of had a moment of like, yeah, we both know this is bullshit, isn't it? Because, you know, I had a resume. I had a headshot. Like, I was coming to play. Like, I thought this was an opportunity. I wasn't just some idiot off the street. I had my resume. I had a headshot. It's like, oh, okay. They could see that, you know, I was a legitimate actor. I had credits, so to speak. You know, like, diploma in theater arts. Been in a bunch of plays. Couple independent films. Like, I was, you know... A real performer. And I was like, I believe I was around, I was like, I was like 20 at the time, I believe. I was probably like 20 years old. And I remember the guy, he kind of looks at my resume and he looks at my headshot. Then he looks at me, fucking diaper full of shit. Just this guilt ridden look on his face. And he's just like, okay, well, um, uh, okay. Just, um, well, go, okay, go into that lineup over there. So he sends me to this other lineup to process me. That's where, you know, get out the checkbooks, get out your wallets, you know. And I remember I'm standing in this lineup. I'm just looking at all these fucking cattle, all this fucking Hollywood hopefuls. And I'm just like, yo, I'm out of here. I just turned around and left. I am out. And, you know, hey. You live and you learn, but it's just a sad fact of life, man. If your eyes aren't open, people are out to get you. Not saying it's around every corner, but hey, you know, everyone's out there to make a buck. Everyone's out there to make a dream. Hey, go make yours. I am also an alcoholic. Yes. Two years, nine months of sobriety. Um... Something I'm dealing with right now in regards to my alcoholism, I'm very blessed. I'm grateful. I've been relieved from the compulsion to drink. Now, I personally don't believe in my recovery path that there is a cure for alcoholism. There is the grace of uh, remittance. Is that the word when you go into remittance? Remission. So there's the grace of remission. I'm no longer compelled to drink. I no longer really think about it with any real seriousness or any real thought. So I'm relieved in that way. But I do find myself sometimes um, thinking about the fantasy rather than fantasizing. (laughs) If that makes sense, like, I'm not fantasizing about the fantasy. I'm thinking of the fantasy. There's a difference. Like, it's almost as if I know there is this world of fantasy in alcoholism, in addiction, in substance abuse, in toking joints, chain-smoking cigarettes, getting drunk, and going to oblivion. Like, I know there's a fantasy there. And sometimes I think about it. Like, have you ever seen the movie Fern Gully? Fern Gully, I believe, was a movie from like the early 90s. It was like a cartoon. It was about like a tropical rainforest that was coming under uh, demolition. 
something along those lines. They're about to tear down a tropical rainforest. And one of the construction workers somehow, I don't know, does he eat a mushroom? He, I don't know, he takes drugs or something. I don't know what the fuck, but somehow he shrinks down and becomes like a little pixie. He's like, oh no, I'm a little pixie, wow, wow, I'm a pixie, whoa. And he like shrinks down to become a pixie. And he's hanging out in Fern Gully with all these little fairies and stuff. And they're hot as shit, you know. Sexy little fairies. Oh, yeah. Hey. You know, remember like, what was that? Nanny or Nono? Remember from The Legend of Zelda? Hey. Hey. What's that over there? Hey. The little fucking fairy from Zelda? Hey. Nary or whatever. You know, all these sexy little fairies and shit is what I'm saying, right? Hot, real hot. And sometimes sometimes I get into that weird little fantasy world where it's like, I'll be at the park. It'll be like a summer day. And I'll be like looking over at a bush. I'm like, whoa. There's like a little world of like drugged out fantasy down there. Like in Fern Gully. Like what if I smoked a joint and went down there with the little fairies? Hanging out with the pixies and the little fairies and shit. Smoking joints. Hanging out with the Smurfs. La, 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 Papa Smurf, Mama Smurf, Baby Smurf. You know, Smurfette. I want to smoke a joint and go hang out with the Smurfs. You know what I mean? I want to get fucking crazy. I want to get drunk and see stars. You know? The closest thing to... The closest thing to... A balanced... A balanced fantasy. You know, it's like, you ever heard Jimmy Jimi Hendrix, what is it, Third Stone from the Sun? I gotta look that title up. I got my cell phone right here. Jimi Hendrix, Third, Third Stone from the Sun. I think that's what the song's called. Let me look up on my cell phone, Jimmy. Third Rock. Yeah, third, what is it? Third Stone from the Sun. Yeah. By the Jimi Hendrix experience. That was kind of flat. But, you know, like, that that fucking... When I hear that song sometimes, it just makes me think of a fantasy, a real fantasy, because it's like underneath all that is just pain in hell, the pain of addiction, the pain and turmoil of a fucked up life, right? But it's such a beautiful fantasy as well. And it don't got to be summertime. It don't have to be me staring at a bush wanting to escape into a fantasy world. It could be the middle of winter. There's always an excuse to use. If you're really looking for one, you know, oh, Frosty the Snowman was a hairy, holy soul. Oh, yeah, Frosty the Snowman. I want to smoke weed with Frosty. <laughs> Frosty, I love you. Come back. Right? Don't go with your corn cob pipe and your button nose, you know. Frosty, no, don't melt. You know, I'll smoke weed and get fucked up in a fantasy in the dead of winter, you know. I'll rake up leaves in the fall, jump in a pile high as fuck, you know? 
Cowabunga! Jump in a pile of leaves. I'm in a fantasy world. You know? Spring? Oh my god. Right? Don't even get me started on spring. The fresh smell of dirt. Pubs are opening, bars are opening, patios are opening, legs are opening. Fantasy. Sometimes I still hear it. But hey, I think about fantasy rather than fantasizing about fantasy. If that makes any sense. Because I know the fantasy is a fantasy. But I do think about it. But through the grace of recovery, one day at a time, those days add up. Here I am, sitting before you, two years, nine months of sobriety. Happy hallelujah. I am also a janitor. Yeah. I'm a janitor. Um... Something I want to speak about in terms of the janitorial trade, you know, you know, toilets, cleaning up vomit, shit, piss, uh, you know, things of that nature, you know, janitorial custodial services. Um, That is my day job at the moment. And sometimes I do get bothered by it, like I am... I am very grateful for it. It facilitates a lot of my needs, some of my wants as well. But I can't help but feel sometimes as a janitor that I am complicit in the lie. You know, I am complicit in the lie of life at times. Because you know what? I work at a very high, uh, you could call it profile, office building in downtown Toronto. A lot of different types of business professionals. And, you know, one thing that the dream of society, to quote the four agreements, the dream of society is like basically one of fear, one of, um, yeah, Fear, keeping up with the Joneses. Am I good enough? Am I good enough? Will I make it? Am I good enough? Some people break. They turn to fantasy realms. They want to smoke weed with the pixies, you know? Get drunk with the fucking uh, Smurfs, you know? Some people turn to that avenue. Because we're all consumed by fear, you know? The fear to be, the fear to make it, right? And sometimes I feel complicit in the lie because it's like one thing that we harp on in society is stature, status. What do you do? Where do you live? What is your income? What is your profession? And people are so obsessed with what the other people do, yet they don't realize we all do the same shit. We shit. Shit. So I'll be at an office building, and from the start of my shift to the end of my shift, it is like a revolving 
fucking door. It's like Grand Central Station. It's like New Delhi in the middle of the fucking afternoon. It's people constantly in and out of the bathroom. Constantly, from the fucking start of my shift to the end of my shift. Yo, like, who really shits in public? Be honest with yourself. Who shits in public? Children, old people, and the homeless. Those are the three groups of people that shit in public. You're telling me you woke up for work, and you went into the bathroom, and you didn't sit down and take a shit? Isn't that what you do in the morning? You wake up, you take a shit, you take a shower, you go to work. What, you saved your shit for the first second you walk through the door at work? Now I'm complicit in your lie. The lie of, oh, um, you know, I love my job. And, oh, this is the way it is. And, oh, you know, it's like I'm in the bathroom cleaning toilets, scrubbing toilets incessantly because people are constantly in the fucking bathroom. It's like, yo, when I'm like, I, okay, look, I will never take a shit in public. That's not something I do. The only way I'm choosing to take a shit in public, if it's no longer a choice. You know, oh, 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 I'm about to shit myself. I better go take a shit in a public toilet. You're never going to catch me in a public bathroom stall. Are you out of your fucking mind? Public bathroom stalls are disgusting, all right? And it's not because I don't do a good job of cleaning. It's that any fucking toilet that is not my toilet is a fucking disgusting toilet. I have the luxury of having an apartment with a toilet. That is where I do my business. Not out in public, taking public dumps like a fucking homeless fucking transient, which I've done before, by the way. I I was homeless for four months. You ever see a homeless shelter's bathroom stall? (sighs) The horror. The horror. So I'm complicit in this lie, man. All these fucking pointed loafers with their pants around their ankles. Taking shits in the middle of the fucking day. Like, yo, save it for home, player. Come on now, money. What the fuck? You're taking public shits? And the funny fucking thing, too, is that's what I mean by complicit in the lie. Like, where it's like... It's all about stature. Where do you live? Where do you live? Oh, I live in the West End. Oh, I live in Ronsi. Roncesvalles. Oh, I live in Queen West. Oh, I live on King Street. Oh, I live in Riverdale. Oh, I live in Leslieville. Oh, I live in all these trendy areas. Yet, the first second I get to work, I whip my pants down around my ankles and take a shit. Complicit in the lie. And a lot of times I have to remind myself that I'm actually in jail. I touched on that on a previous episode, but I never really flushed it out. I consider myself in jail. You know what I mean? Like, I am very grateful for my job. Like I said, it covers my um, overhead, my daily living expenses, shelter, food, clothing. Um... I'm a performer. I have to pay for, um, you know, certain things like 
let's say I want to take a like a like a gym membership. Maybe I want to take an acting class. Maybe I want to upgrade my um, skills somehow. Courses, classes, clothing is a very important thing about being a performer. You can't show up in rags. You have to have a certain presentability. So yeah, I'm ha- I'm grateful for my job in that regard, right? But I consider myself in jail because it's like I'm obviously going to a place to do a job that I don't want to do, to be around a bunch of people I don't want to be around. And I'm trying to get out as quick as, pa- as quick as possible on good behavior. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get out of jail as quick as possible on good behavior. And idle hands are the devil's playground. So when you're sitting around, you're playing with your thumbs, and you're twiddling your thumbs, and you're twiddly D, and you're doing nonsense... That's when a lot of that fantasy, that's when a lot of that bad decision-making can creep back. So I'm very grateful that I'm busy earning a living, paying for my overhead, focused on my recovery, but I'm trying to get out of jail as quick as possible on good behavior. I'm a janitor. Hallelujah. And last of all, I am a stand-up comedian extraordinaire. Ten years of service. Um, experience as a professional comedian, getting paid to be a middle act at a fairly decent comedy club. I have those experiences. I have experiences of doing paid gigs on the road here and there. I have the experience of um, independent shows, doing independent shows, producing independent shows, you know, doing it rather for the love rather than the money. That all takes care of itself in time, but that's the nature of a lot of independent gigs. There's no real money. It's about the craft. It's about the love of the game. I've done a lot of open mics. Shitty, seedy, dumpy little fucking gigs. Hole in the wall, you know. One-offs here and there, you know. And through it all, I'm at a place now where I'm trying to up my game. I'm trying to do higher level shows, you know, higher. I'm trying to produce um, quality independent shows. And I'm trying to book myself in better gigs, so to speak. So what I'm doing is I'm moving away from the open mic. I'm moving away from lower caliber gigs. Now, it's a hard thing to do as a performer because we're gluttonous, we're whorish, we want whatever we can get. It's scary to just say, no, I'm putting up, uh, I'm putting up my, um, I'm putting my hand up and saying what I'm worth. You get a little scared because it's like, you know, you're taking the risk, you feel like you're losing out sometimes, you feel like, well, what if, what if, what if? The fear of change, basically. And that's what I'm dealing with right now. That's what I'm dealing with, but that's also what I'm very excited for. Today is an interesting day. Um, I'm up for work at the crack of dawn. It's 3.01 in the a.m. Eastern Standard Time. 3.01 in the a.m. In the a.m. And 
today after work, if the stars align, I'm going to go out and about and try to book a new venue for the show that I produce, Our Righteous Mike. It's been been in various incarnations, Our Righteous Mike, the show that I produce. Um, If you want to uh, hear a little bit more about that, why don't you browse back, uh, reach back out to Jonathan Ramtrand, the podcast, a few episodes back. I had mentioned some of the things that were going on with the show that I was producing. It's been a very interesting saga in 2019, my production efforts. So this is just another rung in the ladder. I'm going to get back up on that horse, go out there, see what I can wrangle up, and um, live to fight another day. That's all you can do in anything you do. So as a stand-up comedian, I just got to stick my chin out and take it on the chin. So there you have it, Jonathan Ramcharan, actor, alcoholic, janitor, stand-up comedian. So welcome to the show. Cigarette smokers. Now there's not too much in this world that I judge anymore, granted from my past experiences as an alcoholic as a tepid uh, actor, (laughs) as a washed-up comedian, as a fucking alcoholic janitor, you know? There ain't much that I'm judging in this world, you know? The humility that is forced upon you through a (laughs) shit-kicking tells me that, yo, man, check yourself, slow your roll, watch your mouth, you don't fucking know anything, (laughs) So there ain't too much that I get straight up judgmental about these days. But one thing, smokers. Now, there's only two reasons why people smoke. It's number one, they have some sort of behavioral problem. Some sort of anxiety, some sort of mental unease, some sort of, um, you know drug and alcohol induced psychosis, you know, they're in the throes and grips of an addiction. (sighs) Oh, I'm going to chain smoke cigarettes. (sighs) You know, there's that angle. So it's either they have some sort of behavioral situation going on, or number two, they are a complete fucking moron. If you smoke cigarettes in 2019, there's no other way to put it. You're a fucking moron. What are you doing? You're inhaling chemicals. You're inhaling chemicals into your body that are going to kill you. You are paying to kill yourself. You are paying for the pleasure of killing yourself with a slow death through cancer, emphysema, heart um, disease. You know, all the fucking pain and turmoil of smoking a cigarette. You got to be a complete fucking moron. There's no other way to put it. You know? And... Oh, my Lord. I was getting my fucking balls busted yesterday at the park. I'm at the park. I'm sitting on a bench. Beautiful, sunny, summer, August day. Summer breeze makes me feel fine. Beautiful summer breeze. Sitting on a bench reading a newspaper. The tranquil sound of the rustling of the leaves. Birds chirping. Squirrels running around. 
all of a sudden I get blasted in the face with like a fucking plume, a cloud of smoke. <sighs> fucking smoker smoke right in my face. I look over. This fucking idiot sitting there puffing a cigarette. Then his buddy comes over to speak to him. Another black man like myself, right? I think he was like Somali or something, right? Now there's a black dude like myself. He goes and he goes to his buddy. And now they're talking. And then they're both chain smoking cigarettes. (laughs) Clouds of smoke. Just enveloping me, washing over me, getting in my hair, getting in my eyes. And what I fucking hate about cigarette smoke, it's it's like, it's the interruption of peace with stupidity. You're interrupting peace with stupidity. It's a beautiful, sunny summer afternoon. The birds are out, not a cloud in the sky. Well, there were some clouds in the sky, but whatever. But, you know, a beautiful, tranquil day. I'm breathing in fresh air. Then all of a sudden, you're replacing peace with stupidity. Absolute stu-fucking-pidity. They're drinking beers in public too, right? And it's hard for me to... um, like I say, talk shit about that. I drank for 16 years. I had my bottoms. I had my lows. Um, but man, do I have a fucking... That is a pet peeve of mine. Cigarette smoking. It just really fucking annoys me. Even when I fucking... I used to smoke cigarettes, right? And even when I was in my... Like I said, I was in a psychosis. I was in a... I was abusing alcohol... I was smoking weed fairly regularly, and I'd just get drunk and high, and I'd be chain-smoking cigarettes. <sighs> but in the morning, when I would sober up, well, as best I could, I was like pretty much drunk 24-7, but in those couple hours in the morning when I was sober, throughout the morning and afternoon, I would never smoke a cigarette. I would think like to myself, oh, God, i got to quit smoking. What am I doing? This is so stupid. How can I smoke cigarettes? Like... You know, and I'd go to ha- like I'd have a one cigarette here or there, you know, and <laughs> this is gross. What am I doing? This is so stupid. Like I would just think to myself how stupid it was. But yet, when I was in my psychosis, <laughs> like I would chain smoke. The second I would get a little bit sober, though, I'm just like, yo, what am I doing? So, ugh. just wanted to speak on that for a moment because, damn, does it get on my fucking nerves. It fucking boils my cabbage, man. I'm telling you. <sighs> so, yo, any of you out there, you know what you need to do. And let me give you a little bit of a tip. Uh, cut back. Cut back at the very least. Just cut back. What I did, which helped me and which worked, was I just picked, like, okay, I know that I like a cigarette in the morning. I know that I like a cigarette maybe in the afternoon and a cigarette at night. So that's three cigarettes. Those are the three times of the day that I know that I like cigarettes. Plus, um, I can, you know, budget to have like, you know, I basically cut in half what I smoked. I, I was smoking around 20 cigarettes a day. No, 
I was smoking around like 10 cigarettes a day. So then I just cut that half to, in half to five. And then I slowly, slowly weaned myself off. So that's what I did. I just cut back. I'm like, okay, I smoke about 10 cigarettes a day. Let's see if I can do five cigarettes a day and then work my way down. That way you're not so stressed with the idea of going cold turkey. You're budgeting for the relapse. You're budgeting for the, for the inevitability. And cigarettes are truly a game of numbers, you know? If you can cut down the amount you smoke, that's a victory because every cigarette does damage to you. So it's definitely a numbers game. The less you smoke, the better. So give it a shot while you're out there, ladies and gentlemen. Please cut back. And um, if that sounds harsh, well, then fucking listen to some of your non-smoking compadres. It is the most disgusting thing. I used to hate cigarette smoking, man. Like, even when I smoked, I'd be like, it gets in your eyes, gets in your hair, it makes you old, you know, you're uh, uh, like a raspy voice, your teeth are yellow, you know, your hair stinks, your skin gets wrinkly, you know, you develop heart disease, lung cancer, emphysema, impotence, you get sexually impotent, your cock will stop working if you keep smoking. Don't you want a cock? Don't you want your cock to work? What's wrong with you people? If you can't do it for your lungs, if you can't do it for your heart, do it for your cock. Your cock doesn't need cock cancer. It's got enough problems, you know? Cocks have so many problems in this world. Who's going to suck it? You know, who's going to play with it? You know, where's the urinal? There's so many problems when you're a cock. The last thing you need is cock cancer. So please, for the love of God, cut back on the smoking. Stop smoking, suck a cock. That is an alternative for you. If you get a little bit of a fucking nicotine craving, why don't you go suck a cock? That'll turn your world around real quick. Anyways. Let it be, let it be, oh let it be. Speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And in my hour of darkness, (coughs) Mother Mary comes to me. Speaking words of wisdom. (coughs) Emphysema. 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 Oh, emphysema. Speaking words of wisdom. (coughs) Let it be. (coughs) I got a hole in my throat. Uh, uh, You ever see that commercial? Like, they used to play it a lot at movies. When you go to see a movie and, like, um... There's this guy, he's like a street performer, and he's got like a hole burrowed in his throat, right? And he's all like, you don't always die from smoking. Sometimes you got emphysema, you got a hole in your throat. You don't always die from smoking. He's like singing a song about how you don't always die from smoking. Sometimes you just get horribly maimed. You get your throat ripped out by emphysema. They burrow a hole in your throat. That way you can actually breathe. And then you have to talk like this for the rest of your life. Hey, how's it going? Hey there, my name's Jonathan. Uh Anyways. I'm your father. Alright? Something you didn't know about me? I'm your father. So it's about time you fucking pay attention to me. Quit smoking or you're grounded. Go to your room. You're going to bed with no dinner, missy.
You're going to bed with no supper, young man, until you quit smoking. No dinner. No Pokemon. Go to your room immediately. <laughs> I think you get the point. Imagine if Pokemon smoked. Yeah, you open your little Pokemon ball and there's a cloud of smoke. <coughs> Squirtle. <coughs> Charizard. <laughs> Bobblypuff. Jigglypuff. <coughs> Jigglypuff. <coughs> anyway. Hong Kong. Hong Kong. That's been in the news lately. Hong Kong. Hong Kong, China, under protests, democracy, people demanding democracy, protesting. Um, what's going on there is basically um, what I know of it is there's this extradition bill that the Chinese government, without getting too technical, the Chinese government is trying to pass. So it's basically this bill saying that somebody can be extradited from one province to the, to the mainland China, be extradited from one province to the mainland China for um, basically um, any crimes that are um, pending, right? So it's basically a extradition bill. People can be summoned extradited, sent back to different provinces in China. And people are protesting because they're saying that, oh, this is just another far arm reaching the arm of the Chinese law, the Chinese arm of the law, imposing more and more on the people. They feel like, and rightfully so, that the government is probably going to abuse that extradition power. And people are going to be relocated and allocated against their will. So that's what a lot of these protests as of late have been about. The cry for democracy, the cry for government accountability. And somebody who's been catching some slack over there has been Jackie Chan. Don't you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Hey man, nobody understands the words that are coming out your mouth. Rush hour? Don't you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Hey, man, nobody understands the words that are coming out your mouth, man. Damn, damn. It's a good movie, Rush Hour. But fucking Jackie Chan's been getting pelted. Pelted with criticism. <laughs> this is the headline. This is from the, uh, the, the Sunday Sun. The Toronto Sunday Sun. August 18th, 2019. This is the headline. Hong Kong hates you. Beijing backing action star, a shameless bastard. So, yeah. Um, basically, the people are calling the Karate Kid star, Jackie Chan. Uh, fans slammed the star as shameless and told him that Hong Kong hates you. Another uh, fan called Chan a greedy has-been, while a fourth critic labeled him a shameless communist bastard. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, I guess Jackie Chan's been opening his mouth and saying, uh, Chan wants the city of his birth to return to peace soon. Hong Kong and China are my birthplace and my home. China is my country. I love my country. I love my home. The 65-year-old Rush Hour star told the Chinese press. When I saw on... Uh, I'm, I'm fucking... Uh, what do you call it? Paraphrasing here. When I saw on... Chinese microblogging website, blah, 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 Weibo, that CCTV had shown the five-star starred red flag has 1.4 billion flag, blah, 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 whatever. It's a stupid quote anyways. Jackie Chan, oh, no one understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. You know, that guy was my fucking hero when I was a kid. Like, um, all those movies, like Rumble in the Bronx, um, Rush Hour, Rush Hour 2, um, I'm trying to think of a couple others. Can't really think of them off the top of my head. But Jackie Chan, the martial artist, the comedic uh, martial artist. He was just so graceful and funny in his performing. Oh, no one understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. So funny. So talented. And um, ah, it's kind of sad that he can't get behind the people of his time, man. Because, yo, like... Not everybody's Jackie Chan, where they get democracy and people give a fuck what they have to say. And the people are screaming for democracy, man. I mean, China has just been notorious for a lot of human rights violations and all sorts of shit like that. And, you know, people are pushing for democracy. The people are speaking. I think it's kind of tactless of a Beijing superstar to critique the peasants who want a little bit of autonomy in their life. How dare they? <laughs> How dare they? I can't, I can't really do a great Jackie Chan impersonation. But, you know, food for thought. Hong Kong, man, the crying for democracy. They took over an airport at some point. I don't know which airport, but, you know, this is pretty, pretty... Pretty interesting stuff, pretty major stuff, because that's a, like I said, it's a very militant country. I mean, I've never been there, but this is what the propaganda machine tells me. It's a very uh, fucking militant country, a lot of rights violations. I mean, it's not easy living in China. <laughs> Smog pollution, you know? So, I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully the people get some, get some of their, get their voice heard and there's some change because who wants to live under authoritarian rule? You know, who wants to be fucking, you know, at the mercy of a government their entire life, right? Governments exist to protect our rights, not vice versa, right? So... There's China for you. <laughs> Sounding like a white Republican. That's China for you. Anyways, there's China for you. Calm down, white people. You know I love you. <clears throat> what else do we got here? Um, blue, 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 blue. Oh, yeah. Mob murders. There's been a lot of mob murders um, in Toronto, Canada, where I live as of late. The latest was a hit a hit on a Roncesvalles restaurateur. 
So Roncesvalles is a trendy uh, neighborhood in the Toronto West End. West End Roncesvalles. Queen West, um, Far Queen West, Roncesvalles. It's like a trendy area, trendy neighborhood in the West End. And uh, uh, that's all, folks. A Roncesvalles restauranteur, restauranteur. What the fuck is wrong with me? <clears throat> like I told you, it's fucking 321 in the a.m. It's not exactly easy keeping your fucking mind straight first thing in the fucking morning. <clears throat> it's your fault. That's why I'm upset. See, I'm yelling at you. I'm like a manipulator. I'm like a I'm like an overbearing boyfriend. It's your fucking fault I'm fucking up. It's you, it's you. Listen to me. <clears throat> you you'll never make it without me. <clears throat> you'll never you'll never make it with me if you've if you've learned anything about my career so far. But um yes. Roncesvalles, trendy West End neighborhood. There was a shooting, a mob hit. And really, who gives a fuck? There's so many so many um, innocent bystanders getting killed in gun violence these days. So why cry over a mobsman? Why cry over a mobster? Then again, we're jumping to conclusions because this alleged hit was on a Roncesvalles restaurant owner, Paulo, uh, Paulo, Paulo, uh, what's his name here? Paulo Caputo. Now, Paulo Caputo, uh, Caputo, Caputo, um, his brother is like the mobster, right? Like, let me read you a little bit from the article here. This is the Sunday Sun, August 18th, 2019. Uh, they question, they question the shooting. They say, and I quote, But why Paulo Caputo? Even if he is the brother of convicted Raposo, Rapuso hitman and Montreal Mafia associate Martino Caputo, Dubro wondered, One thing is certain, Toronto and the GTA are looking and feeling more and more like the red zone in street gangster killings and shootings in Canada. So basically this Paulo Caputo, he's the brother of a mobster, Martino Caputo. So there's the question, there be the question, why why was Paulo hit, shot? People are talking about how a lot of the, the mob, the mobsters, the Italian mob, the, uh, these crime families are outsourcing a lot of their hits lately. They're turning to mid to low level street gangs for a lot of their assassinations. And, you know, this is interesting stuff because sometimes it seems so far away. Like all things in life, like we live in a mirror. Sorry, we live in a vacuum. Does that make sense? I don't know where you live. <laughs> you could live anywhere. You can, be, you can be in China right now, protesting. Down with the government! Fuck you, Jackie Chan! But, like, we... Sometimes things seem so far away. You know what I mean? Like, I've been to Roncesvalles, this trendy neighborhood. I live in Toronto. 
I don't see or feel this mobster underbelly. I don't see this kind of seedy underbelly, this like this gang life. Like it seems so far away, yet it's under our nose. So that's what's kind of interesting about it to me, you know. And I pronounced a lot of names there wrong. Uh, but who gives a fuck, you know what I mean? Like, they're basically famous for being assholes. Isn't that what it is? Like, why should I learn how to pronounce your fucking name? You know, you're famous for being a fucking criminal and an asshole, so... But that's basically what's going on. And according to the newspaper, and it's it's interesting stuff, man. It really makes you scratch your head and think about the world around you. Think about... Think about the, you know, like, you could be eating at a restaurant and all of a sudden, bullets flying. And it's like the restaurateur gets murdered. And it turns out you were eating at a mob restaurant. And there's all these people and players making moves, illegal transactions, illegal transactions. And it's just so... And it's fascinating. That's part of it. The criminal lifestyle, the mob mentality, it's fascinating. Because these are these people that are just bug wild, living um, lawless, living reckless, making money in a godless way against the grain of society. Like as I told you, I'm a janitor. I get up and I mop toilets, scrubbing floors, buffing, mopping, waxing, cleaning, and I make money in a legitimate manner. Yet there's people that just like, yo, that ain't for me. I'm above all this shit. I'm going to fucking sell drugs to children, pimp and prostitute, and kill anybody in my fucking way. <laughs> it's mind-boggling. I used to have a little bit of a bit, a little joke where it's like, yeah, I kind of want to join a gang. You know what I mean? Like... There is an allure. The the allure of don't fuck with me. I do whatever the fuck I want. You know? If I want something, I take it. It's like Goodfellas. You know, we were kings. We did whatever we wanted. Paulie was the king of the block. Everybody wanted to be a gangster, you know? I'm in bed with the mob, you know. Fuck you, pay me. You got problems, you go see Paulie. You know, fuck you, pay me. What, your your fucking dog died? Fuck you, pay me. We were kings, we were rock stars. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. You know, it's just like living that fucking thug life. <laughs> Thugs cry too. <laughs> and, you know, like... Ah, it's alluring. Money, power. How many people do you know that you would love to just look in the face and be like, you know what, I could have you killed. (laughs) Look them right in the eye. Yeah, I see that you're talking, but something you should shut up and listen to is, I could have you killed. (laughs) Wouldn't you just love to drop that on somebody someday? Get in my office. See, I'm going to tell you something because I'm your boss. And blah, 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 blah. Okay, look, enough of that. Something you should realize is I could have you killed. (laughs) 
Oh, come on, you know, jo- you know Johnny here, your old chuckle buddy. I'd never do that, right? <clears throat> but uh, yeah, hey, that's gangsterism in Toronto for ya. 2019. Um, what else do we got going on here? Um, uh, you know, I was watching a lot of Netflix as of late. That's been a little blessing of mine. Netflix, and it kind of it kind of goes back to the whole gangsterism thing, just the absurdity of people who run around in society and do as they please. Because um, I was on Netflix, Netflix the other night, and I was watching the Ted Bundy tapes. I think that's the name of the documentary, the Ted Bundy confession tapes, or the Ted Bundy tapes, something like that. It's like a four-part documentary on uh, Ted Bundy and just the uh, his crimes, his crimes against women. Um, sentenced to death in the electric chair, 1988. Ted Bundy gets electrocuted for the murder of 30 women. Allegedly more victims, but 30 women he went to the fucking electric chair for. Ted Bundy. And just his story. Just the incredulous, mind-boggling... Here's a guy who manipulates and master manipulates women his entire life. He, um, he's going to law school. He's, he's studying to be a lawyer. He, get, he gets a degree in psychology. He wants to go on to study to become a lawyer. In the midst of all that, he marries like a wealthy type of homely little, you know, mouse woman. He marries this little rag of a woman. He, um, I shouldn't be dissing her up so much like that, but you know, whatever, who cares? And, you know, in the midst of all this, he's, like, killing women. He kills, like, 30-some women when all said and done. And, you know, just, he master manipulates them. He, uh, he acts as his own lawyer. He acts as his own defense lawyer when he's on trial. And the sheer gull of it, like, you see him, he's cross in. He's he's um he's in he's cross what is it cross examining he's cross examining one of the detectives who came across one of his victims. He's cross examining this this uh, investigator and the sheer gall. He's like, so officer, tell me, um, how did she look? Yeah, she was maimed, raped, killed. And he's, like, interrogating this fucking officer. And it's like, yo, I don't even have the gall to, like, litigate with a fucking retail clerk. Like, I was over at fucking uh, Canadian Tire the other day. I bought a pair of these uh, rain clogs. These quaint, cute little rain shoes that I bought. It's getting to that weather time. It's getting to that rainy season. Fall's coming. So I'm like, yo, I can't be clomping around in these fucking rain boots that I have. I got to get something a little bit more streamlined. So I got these rain clogs. Turned out that they were one size too big. So I take them back to exchange them. The fucking retail clerk's like, so why are you returning them? And I'm just like, oh, well, I mean, uh, uh, well, uh, uh, gosh. Um, <clears throat> oh, they're the wrong size. I'm sorry. I got, uh, uh. 
I'm like all nervous and shit with my receipt in my hand. I don't even have it in me to like litigate with a fucking retail clerk. There's Ted Bundy. Objection! I object! I did not kill that woman. And he's up there and he's, he's, you know, he's, he's defending his crimes. He's going face to face with the investigators, asking them questions about, so when you saw the victim, did you do, so when you saw the victim, was the victim bloody, was the victim dead, what position was the victim in, cross, cross interrogating witnesses and shit, it's just like the sheer insanity of this fucking idiot, the sheer disregard for societal norms, the sheer shamelessness of it all, the like psychopathy of it. It's just like fucked to see a person be like that. You know what I mean? That entitlement. The ultimate entitlement to take a human life. That's probably among the ultimate of ultimates when it comes to entitlement. To take a life. Just to see that fucking idiot up there, it's just like, wow. And, yo, like, like I said, the trajectory of this guy, craziness, like... You know, acting as his own trial lawyer, escaping. He escapes jail. He, um, he gets married in jail, has a child in jail. And on the eve of his execution, he literally has an audience. You know, hundreds of people show up outside the jail. Just the circus that became Ted Bundy. And... It is truly a fucking strange story. It's strange the societal mask that guy wore and how, you know, that dark underbelly as I talked about with the gangland killings, the mobster killings, the entitlement of a serial killer, just that dark underbelly that seems so far away in society, yet it could be right next door. So... That had me thinking. But hey, you know, that was my weekend, you know, watching Netflix, reading about mobsters in the newspaper. And you know what? Going forward into this week, feeling pretty good, you know, I have to say. Uh, I worked out, been working out a lot this week, getting back into my rhythm. I was totally off point for the last couple of weeks and um, back on it, though. You know, worked out a lot this weekend, feeling pretty good, you know, and uh, glad to be doing that. Um, oh, yeah, I mentioned I bought those rain clogs, quaint, cute, tasteful little rain clogs, like these little rain booties. And one thing I do on the podcast to uh, maintain my gratitude is I take little pictures of the little gifts that I get. Little, you know, little things that I get. So I'm going to post a picture of these rain clogs. They're so darling. And um, that'll be the little thing I'm going to do. Post that on the website if you're interested. And speaking of the web, and speaking of the website, if you're interested in anything you heard, please hit me up. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. What do you think about serial killers? <laughs> what do you think about um, mobster killings? What do you think about Hong Kong and uh, Jackie Chan, that shameless communist bastard. <laughs> what do you think about it all? Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. And before I get out of here, I want to declare 
that I officially hate seagulls. I officially fucking hate seagulls. They're disgusting. They are absolutely fucking heinous and disgusting. I put them on the level of Ted Bundy. You know? Seagulls are just as vile and and evil and offensive as fucking Ted Bundy. I did not murder 30 women. This is preposterous. This is just another... This is just another example of the criminal justice system trying to take advantage of an innocent man. My human rights are being violated. I did not kill and murder 30 women. This is preposterous. I put seagulls on the same level as fucking Ted Bundy, man. I'm telling you. I saw one of the most disgusting displays that fucking warped my heart, brought a tear to my eye, fucked me up. So I'm sitting on a bench and I'm reading the newspaper. This was yesterday. So I'm reading about mob hitmen. I'm reading about the mobster hits. I'm reading about Jackie Chan, Hong Kong. And I look up. And there's a seagull. It's eating something. Like, what's that seagull eating? Oh, it's trying to swallow a dead sparrow. Yeah. It's trying to hork back this dead sparrow. Some fucking asshole hit a sparrow with its car. There was a dead sparrow on the sidewalk. This fucking seagull is trying to scarf this thing down. Whole. Feathers and all. Beaks and all. Choking on a fucking dead sparrow. I am officially done with seagulls. I fucking hate them. You know, I'm gonna fucking, I don't know, man. I'm gonna put a hit out on a fucking seagull. Hey, Tugsy, I got this seagull that I want you to, you know, take care of. Ah, he's just been chirping a little too much. He's been squawking a little too much. It's time we, it's time the seagull sleeps with the fishes, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, not for nothing, but the seagull's getting a little ahead of himself. Time for him to sleep with the fishes. Seagulls. It's your old chuckle buddy, guess who, Jonathan James Ramtran, reporting live for duty on this magnificent August 19th in the year of our Lord, 2019. Hey, a lot of food for thought in this episode, eh? You know? Uh, Hong Kong, the protests and riots in Hong Kong. That's something in our day and age, 2019. We're talking um, gangster land killings, Toronto, Canada, you know? We're talking seagulls. Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. What do you think about these matters, huh? Huh? What do you think about old Ted Bundy? What do you think about this shit? Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Till next time, ladies and gentlemen, you live it, you love it, you realize it. I, I believe in you. Peace. Thank <laughs> you.